great beginning to it. Uh, we have several families among us that are having a hard time, and that's why we as Christians want to bear one, another, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, Brother Greg will be making announcements at the end, but I've, I've got to go ahead and express uh, thanks to thanks from Fred Hudson for all of you, for all of your prayers for Sheila. Uh, Sheila still has not awakened from her sedation. The sedation has stopped, but yet she hasn't awakened. So we're just praying and let's keep praying. Pray fervently that Sheila will awaken from this and and continue on her road to to recovery. Um, if you didn't receive the email, we we got the uh, sad news that Pat, Pat Haney uh, passed away yesterday evening after a, a long battle with, with Alzheimer's. So we want to continue to pray for Wayne, Tara, Tim, Lanny, those are the three children. And uh, we'll pass along funeral arrangements as they are finalized. But there are also others among us that are still grieving as well. We want to pray for, for each and every one. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we are so thankful that we can come to you. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus who makes this possible. And we do pray, Father, for the Haney family and their loss. And Father, we feel that loss of Miss Pat and what a wonderful Christian lady she was and what an influence she leaves behind. But bless Wayne and the children and grandchildren uh, through these days. And Father, we're mindful of other families among us, like the Richardson family, and the loss of Miss Mary, and ask for your comfort to continue with them as well. Father, we pray together that you will bless Sheila Hudson. Father, you know our hearts. We pray that she'll be able to wake up from this sedation, from the surgery, and uh, continue on the road to recovery. Bless Fred, who is there day by day, every every amount of time that they'll allow and, and give him the strength that he needs. But Father, we pray for, for better days for, for Sheila and for Fred. Uh, Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the beginning of this new year. And we pray, Father, that whatever time we have, that we'll live it to your praise and glory and honor. Uh, Father, thank you for our church family. And thank you for everyone that is here this morning. And bless us as we draw near to you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been working on a theme for, for this year. I am. I am. You remember when Moses saw the, the burning bush and was amazed that the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. He determined he was going to go see, go check this out. And when he did, he was told to take off his shoes because the ground upon which he was walking was holy ground. It was holy because of the presence of God. And God spoke to him from that burning bush, commissioning him to, to go back to, to Egypt to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And then we read Moses, some of Moses' response here. Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of, of Egypt? So he said, God said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this 
mountain. Moses continued to offer excuses. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am, not I was or I will be. I, I am. What does that mean when God describes himself as I am? GotQuestions.org supplies these insights. God's existence, or I am, is the ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence, and immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. He, his plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He promises that he will be what he will be, that is, he will be the eternally constant God. He stands ever-present and unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what he wills to accomplish. I am completely self-sufficient. As this uh, writer said, not, not contingent upon anything or anyone else. We are contingent. We wouldn't be here if it weren't for the great I am. But God has always been and always will be. He is unchangeable and ever-present. Let me flash forward. God uh, answers all of Moses' excuses. Moses doesn't feel sufficient for the task, but he goes. And he goes before Pharaoh. In Exodus 15, or chapter 5, we'll read these words. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Moses says to Pharaoh, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Who is the Lord? Who is this God of which you speak, the God of the Israelites? I don't know him, therefore I will not let his people, your people, go. Pharaoh, a man of authority in Egypt, refuses to recognize the authority of the God that Moses is, is extending the, his message to for him. So Pharaoh, in essence, refuses to, to bow down and to submit to the request of the God of Israel. But we, what we see in Pharaoh is really, deep down, the issue with each and every one of us. One writer said, God is the great I am. Pharaoh was saying, I am who I am, and therefore I will not yield to another. God is the great I am, but we continually want to be our own I am. And that's the root of our problem. That's the root of our rebellion against God. Who is I am? And we affirm through the scripture, God is the great I am. And therefore we must submit to him. And as we explore the great I am on several occasions, Lord willing, through this year, what we want to do is, is seek to understand who God is.
But not just that, but understanding more about who God is, then we understand more about who we are and what we're supposed to be in relation to the great I, I am. So let me pose this question. Who is the great I am? And God has revealed himself through, through scripture. And I want to take you to one scripture this morning. And this is going to be a little bit different than what I normally do. But I want to just walk through a passage of scripture with you. But let's seek to answer this question. Who is the great I am? And the passage of scripture is Genesis 22. If you will, look that up. Genesis chapter 22. Here's one way that God has revealed who he is. Verse 1, beginning, and I'll be reading verse by verse. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Little backstory to this. God had made some astounding promises to Abram, whose name would be changed to Abraham. That goes back to Genesis chapter 12, when Abram was 75 years old. And there were several promises, but one of them, or a couple of them, was of Abram, he would make a great nation, and through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Abram and his wife Sarai, at this time, Genesis 12, He's 75, she's 10 years younger, are childless. Well, through, through his seed, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. In fact, in Genesis 15, God made a great promise to Abraham, and Abraham believed God. Notice what it says. God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And here's Abram's response. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it, God accounted it to him as righteousness. So though he is 75, his wife is 65, past the age of childbearing, he believes what God has said. And so in order to have descendants through his seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, they had to have at least one child. And so they're waiting for that to happen. Years pass, but finally, Abraham and Sarah become parents to Isaac. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90. This is a miracle from God. But finally, here's the child of promise. Now, Abraham and Sarah can see now, God, I, we see how we can have descendants because now we have a son and his name is Isaac. But then in Genesis 22, verse 1, this is years later, God is testing Abraham. And this, there would be no greater test than this one. Verse 2, Then God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. As a parent, as a grandparent, as a human being, I don't know that any of us could fully fathom what's being instructed here, what's being commanded by God. Take your son and offer him as a burnt offering. 
Isaac was that, was that child of promise. Genesis 17, when Abraham was, was 99 years old, so a year prior to Isaac's birth, God said, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him, with Isaac, for an everlasting covenant and with the descendants after him. As for Ishmael, little backdrop on that. You remember God or Abraham and Sarah wanted to, quote, help God, end quote, fulfill his promise. So Sarah, Sarah gave her handmaid, Hagar, to Abram and to bear children through her understanding that any child born to her handmaid would be considered Sarah's. Maybe that's the way they're thinking God intended to fulfill this plan. But what is God saying? No, it's through Sarah. Sarah will have a son. You shall call his name Isaac. Ishmael will be blessed, but notice in the last verse 21, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. It's not through Ishmael. It's through Isaac. But now it's Isaac that God is instructing Abraham, go and offer your son as a burnt offering on the mount that I shall show you. What's Abraham's response? Verse 3. Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, and notice this statement carefully, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And notice this. And we... We'll come back to you. We will come back to you. What had God commanded Abraham to do? Go and offer his son as a burnt offering. But Abraham says here to these young men, we will come back to you. What's, what's he thinking here? What's he thinking so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? If I'm Abraham and hearing my son ask that, my heart is breaking. Wouldn't yours Where's the lamb? Abraham knew where the lamb was. He was looking at him. It was his son. He would be the offering. But notice Abraham's response. My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Let's keep reading. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and, and laid him on the altar and upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. From the biblical record, it would seem, it would appear that Isaac fully submitted to his father's will. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? But we find no um, 
No resistance on the part of Isaac. Isaac knew Abraham loved him dearly. But yet, Abraham in his heart raises his knife to slay his son. We know what happens next, those of us who know this Bible account. But here's a question. Would Abraham had followed through and actually killed his son and offered him as a burnt offering? And the answer is yes. How could that be? The answer is yes. But watch this insight that the Hebrew writer gives us, Hebrews chapter 11, in faith's hall of fame. He recounts the faith of Abraham, and notice what he says. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. You see, he puts it in the past tense. He offered Isaac because, you know why? In his heart, Abraham had offered Isaac already. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So how is Abraham, how is he working through this in his mind? In his heart, he's offered his son Isaac, just as God had instructed him to. And he has raised the knife to complete the act. But he also trusts God's promises that through Isaac, his offspring would be, uh, through your offspring, Isaac, will be reckoned the promises of God. Keep reading in Hebrews 11. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did re receive Isaac back from death. He trusted God so much that though God had told him, slay your son, slay that child of promise, Though Abraham had never seen it happen. He says God promised it was through Isaac. So it must be that God is going to raise him from the dead. He had no <coughs> evidence of this. But he believed God. He trusted God. That that must be what God's going to do. But as Abraham raised that knife to slay his son... The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Now do you remember Isaac's question? Here is the wood. The ability to make fire. But where's the lamb? Abraham's response, God will provide a lamb for the burnt offering. And God provided a ram for that burnt offering in the place of Isaac. Now notice this, and Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Who is the great I am? One way in which God has revealed who he is, is through names that he's given himself. And here is a name, the Lord will provide. 
Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh is who God is. And what does that mean? It means the Lord will provide. And based upon what happened on that mount, Mount Moriah, there was a, there was a saying that came out of that among the people of Israel that in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. So it was a message that resonated from this account to remember God will provide. God will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And he repeats this grand promise. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. As we study that, we see the faith of Abraham. Amazing, marvelous faith that we should seek to emulate. But what I want to, us to see is who God is. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who, who provides. And let me remind you of just three ways in which God provides by way of application to, to ourselves. Number one, God provides for our physical needs. God provides for our physical needs. Let me just quote Jesus on this point. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature or one span to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And instead of worrying, this is what Jesus says we need to do. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all the necessities of life will be added to you. Folks, God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who provides. He provides for our physical needs. Secondly, he's made provision for our greatest need, salvation from sin. And this is where that promise is fulfilled, that through his seed, Abraham's seed, Abraham's descendant, singular, descendant, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's referring to Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, that through him, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Don Rule, a gospel preacher, said this, Even as he provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac, 
So the Lord has provided a lamb as a substitute for us. Let me remind you of a few passages of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. For he, God, made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. Uh, there's a note in a couple of our translations that suggests that to be sin for us likely refers to how Jesus was a sin offering for us. Just like that ram was placed on that altar as a substitute for Isaac, even so Jesus went to the cross that we deserve because of our sins, and he became a sin offering for us, that through him we might become the righteousness of God in him. Peter echoes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds or by his stripes. You've been healed, Peter says to Christians. And notice this beautiful text. Peter reminds these suffering saints in the book of 1 Peter, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of, of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. John, in John chapter 1, John the Baptist sees Jesus, and he says to two of his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. That's our greatest need, salvation from sin. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, provided the gift of his son Jesus to go to the cross on our behalf, to pay the price for our sins so that we can have forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. He provided for our greatest need. And one more, especially in the light of, of recent news, I want to remind us of this. That God, has made, that God provides strength for the journey. God provides strength for the journey. I cannot imagine being Abraham on that three-day journey to Mount Moriah, thinking about what God had commanded him to do. What sustained him during that time? I believe it was that trust, that faith that he had in God that he's thinking, if I'm going to slay my son, but God's going to raise him from the dead. Because he said, through Isaac, through Isaac, my promises will be fulfilled. What sustained him was God, trust in God's promises. What's going to sustain us in our journey when it gets difficult? It's trusting God's promises like this one. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here Paul, he's not saying I can do all things because I'm, I'm strong. I'm a strong man. I can do all things through, through Christ who gives me the strength. I was reminded of a song that I don't know, but the lyrics... I've come to love. It's a song written by Annie Johnson Flint. 
It's entitled, God Hath Not Promised. It's an old song. Here's the first verse. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But here's the refrain. But God hath promised strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. God has promised those things. And it's those promises that sustain us when our journeys get very difficult. Who is the great I am? One component of the great I am. One attribute, one description. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. We'll study more about what that means to us and how we find application of that in our lives. But, but remember that. Jehovah Jireh. When you're facing some difficult situation in your life, think about Abraham, what he was told to do, and how God stopped him, and they named that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And realize that's the same God that we serve today. The Lord will provide. He made provision for us in many ways, but especially in our greatest need. To be saved from our sins so that we can live eternally with Him. And Jesus went to the cross to bless all the nations. That is, all who would accept His offer on His terms. And it may be that you're ready to become a child of God this morning. That you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with all of your heart and, and based upon that faith in Jesus and that He died for you, you're, you've turned from sin and you're turning to follow Him and you are ready to confess His sweet name before this assembly and you can be baptized into Christ even this morning and have your sins washed away by His blood. You can realize the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. You can receive that blessing that he promised through Abraham's seed. You can become a child of Abraham, which is another way, way of saying a child of God. And you can know what it means to be saved from your sins and live the Christian life and have an eternity that is bright as the promises of God. Perhaps even as a Christian, you've, you have struggles and you desire the prayers of the church. May I remind you, that God is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. And He's provided a church family to pray with you and for you if you have that need this morning. And if you do, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?